bold with your brand. Get whatever your weird thing is, just let it out. Whatever you're holding back and you're thinking, oh, this is too personal or this is too weird or this is too whatever, heck no, let it go because you're going to get your people. Trust me. Microphone check one, two, what is this? You're now listening to a brand new episode of the Play Big Faster podcast. Look what you done started. Talk to him. Attorney, high-performance coach, and speaker Cherie Prince asks hard questions to really get to the bottom of what makes entrepreneurs tick. From starting a business, marketing, strategies, and the ins and outs of their industries. We talk everything from book recommendations, lifestyle hacks, and everything possible to get you inspired and motivated to build your own business. The Play Big Faster podcast starts now. Let's go. Welcome to another episode of the Play Big Faster podcast. I'm your host, Cherie Prince, and we are joined in this episode by Catherine McCord. Catherine is a dynamic and innovative entrepreneur and international speaker. Catherine, how are you doing? I'm wonderful. Thank you so much for having me today. Thank you for coming to talk to us today. We have a topic that I don't think anyone else has really taken a deep dive on that we're going to discuss with you today, and that's neurodiversity and entrepreneurship. If you just tell us how you started working with people in these areas, we'd love to hear about it. Sure, yeah. So historically, for the last nine and a half years, which sounds so crazy to me, I just realized that it's been that long yesterday. (laughs) So for the last nine and a half years, I've been running a people operations consulting company. That's the human side of HR. And it's been a wonderful journey. I work on a national level consulting with different companies, especially startup and growth stage organizations. And I developed a very strong affinity for innovation and for inclusion, both and and true inclusion, not what a lot of people think of as inclusion, but true inclusion. And part of that being uh, with neurodiversity, and that became my specialty because I just found it particularly fascinating. And so I have done a lot of research. I've actually done a lot of presentations. I now speak and teach internationally on the topic of neurodiversity. And um, as it pertains to the workplace and, and all of that, it's a ton of fun. I educate organizations across now the world, which is exciting on this topic. And it's a really good time. And for anybody who doesn't know what neurodiversity is, that's okay, because it's a relatively new term. So the term was just invented in the 90s. It was coined by Australian sociologist Judy Singer in the mid 90s. And then it just grew from there. And now what that means, it's kind of evolved a little bit. And now what it means is it refers to a medically visible and or diagnosable difference in how a person processes information and stimuli. And the idea is that different is not a deficit. And now science is backing that up. And from everything from cerebral palsy, traumatic brain injury, and and like autism, ADHD, dyslexia, dyspraxia, all the way over to obsessive compulsive disorder, Tourette's, uh, DID, all of this, that's the broad spectrum. It's a huge spectrum. So anything that affects your neural processes, that's neurodiversity. And now science has finally caught up that the mind, just like the body, balances itself out. So where there may be some struggles in one area, there's some awful cool strength in some other areas. And so neurodiversity is no longer seen as a deficit. It's actually in a lot of ways, although disability is definitely still part of the process, it's now seen in a lot of ways as a benefit. Okay, so you have said a mouthful. 
sorry. I went off a little bit. Sorry. No, look, and we're going to unpack all of it because I think this is such a needed conversation. So let's unpack it. And you did talk about inclusion. Why does inclusion matter? So inclusion, let's start with the basic business presentation for inclusion, because I do think that it's important. And a lot of people get upset when you talk about the importance of a business reason for inclusion, but I think it's also important. So inclusion, and and this has been proven multiple times over, Hewlett Packard actually did a study, Boston Consulting Group, McKenzie Group, et cetera, et cetera, have proven that when you have a truly inclusive culture and when you cultivate inclusion properly and support people working in ways that are natural and healthy to them, that people are more productive, more innovative, customer service improves, and ultimately profits improve an average of 19%. So that's the business case for inclusion, right? Oh, and you're also gonna have less call outs, you're gonna have higher employee satisfaction, it's gonna become easier to hire, everything just gets better, basically. Oh, and in Hewlett Packard's study, they showed that teams were an average of 33% more productive when allowed to and supported in ways of working naturally and healthy for themselves. So, there's the business case. Then you have what I consider to be the most important case, which is the integrity case. And you cannot have integrity without inclusion. It's just not possible. And so if you value integrity in your business, then you need inclusion. It's very simple. Now you say it's simple, but I know there are going to be some people out there who are listening, who are shaking their heads and saying no. (laughs) You know, I think a lot of people think inclusion isn't for them, but it is. Everybody. Yeah. Anytime you can have multiple viewpoints at the table, I think that that's great for your business. And excuse my voice, y'all. I've been batch recording. My voice is in and out, but I'm definitely here for this. But yeah, I think different viewpoints are needed in a business. Absolutely. Diversity. It's been proven. Again, multiple studies have shown how much diversity brings to the table. And I gave some of the stats earlier, some of the things that it improves to be truly inclusive. And what a lot of people miss is really and truly how simple inclusion is. So people are scared of it because they don't understand it and they don't know how to build it. And so it seems like this grandiose, frightening concept, but it's not. It's actually very simple when you learn how to break it down. And so the very basic steps, and of course, there's you know, a lot of little micro elements here too, but the very basic steps are designed for inclusion which is not as hard as it sounds. You just bring the different voices in, get some opinions, do the best you can. It's never going to be perfect, but just do the best that you can. And the main thing to remember when you're designing for inclusion is flexibility. And people miss that. Leave room for flexibility. You can't think of everything. You can't. I don't care how good of an inclusion expert, you are not going to think of everything. It is not possible. And so you have to leave room for the fact that at some point, someone's going to point out a hole or someone's going to have a different need. And you just leave flexibility for that. It's not that difficult. So leave the flexibility, design for inclusion, leave flexibility, create psychological safety, and then listen. And when somebody speaks up, act on it. And it's really just that simple. It's that simple. It's just, I tell people, I think it's easier for me because I was raised like a true Southerner and like accommodating people is red and t- I can't not be accommodating to other human beings. It is just ingrained in my DNA at this point. And, and, but that's all it is. It's just being thoughtful and just being respectful of one another. That's, and supporting each other as each human is. It's that simple. 
So keeping that in mind, what are some best hiring practices that you can recommend to entrepreneurs who are trying to design for inclusion and diversity? Oh, that's a really good question. Thank you. And hiring is my jam. That is one of the things that I have been known for innovating for many, many years. And I spent a good deal of my time in agency recruiting, corporate recruiting, building out recruiting programs. So it's something that I know forwards, backwards, sideways, and diagonally. When you're designing the process, first of all, make accommodations into standard options. Okay. So no more of this people having to jump through hoops or ask for special favors to get things that they need. You just have a list. And if anybody wants this list, uh, all you have to do is go to my charity's website, which is join the neuroverse, N-E-U-R-O-V-E-R-S-E.org. And it's on there in the resource pages. But you just, you have a list of standard accommodations and a fill in the blank that you send out when you invite people to interview that you send out throughout the entire process where people can ask for the things that they need. And that's important because it lets them know that you're not going to discriminate and it gives them the options of things that will make them comfortable. And by the way, a lot of people that don't have disabilities will even like these things. So just do it. It'll just improve your whole hire process. So have the standard accommodations designed for inclusion. Make sure that your application process is simple and actually makes sense. And don't try to interview in the application phase, please. Nothing is more annoying than that. Nothing will cost you candidates. Nothing will make people just groan and moan more when they open up your application than that. So do not try to interview people. Keep it basic. Keep it straightforward. Keep it easy. Have the standard accommodations. Oh, and this is a big one. This is a big one that a lot of people don't know. And it's okay, by the way, if you don't know. This is not a shame thing. This is not something you should know because I'm sure nobody ever told you. But have different ways to ask different questions. Because when you look at cultural variations, different disabilities, different neurodiversities, different learning styles, just different learning styles can create the need for questions to be asked in different ways. So for every question that you need to ask, and you should be consistent, by the way, in every question that you need to ask, make sure that you have various forms of asking it already prepared so that you can set that person up for success. And if they aren't answering it the way that you need them to in one way, change how you're asking it. And then a whole new question will come out. And people don't realize that. And then they try it. I've had people uh, kind of mess with me about that one. And then they go and try it. And they go, oh my gosh, you're right. That completely worked. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, so those are some of the basic things that you can do to just make sure that you're being inclusive and that you're just being an effective interviewer honestly. That just brings up so many other questions, but I'm going to try to stick to my list. Um, <laughs> Ask away. To... It's okay. That's why we're here. When you are someone who may have a disability, you know, how can your diagnosis be a benefit? That's a good question. So first of all, I do want to specify, I have six invisible disabilities. In fact, my doctor keeps trying to put on more disabilities. And I told her that's extremely disrespectful. And I told her she's got to cut that out. We're not doing any more. Six is the maximum. <laughs> Just okay. I know, I know my listeners like, what is an invisible disability? An Tell invisible us disability just means it's not immediately visible to you. So for instance, for some people, MS, multiple, scler multiple sclerosis would be, I have a seizure disorder. That's one of mine. And so you don't see that when you look at me, unless I happen to be having a seizure. There can be thing on the mental health spectrum 
would fall into that. Any of the most of the neurodiversities would fall into that. Um, now, some of them do lop over. So you'll have cerebral palsy is typically visible. You'll have um, with Tourette's, sometimes there are visible ticks. And so then it becomes visible. But for the most part, it, a lot of the neurodiversities are invisible as well. So I have six. Oh, and COPD is another one of mine. I have COPD. Thank you, COVID. It's very rude, COVID. So we have, so I have six invisible disabilities and some of the medical ones just stink, to be honest with you. But one of the things that I, even on the medical side, before I even get to the neurodiversity side, some of the things that I've learned, I am so adaptable because I'm constantly having to take care of myself in new ways and find new ways to take care of myself. Especially I have MCAS, which is an unusual um, autoimmune disorder that means that my body will just create an anaphylactic response to various random things, just random things. And so I'm constantly having to adapt and be flexible and change and all of this. I've had to also become very strong with my routines and making sure that I take care of myself. So I'm highly organized because of that. So some of the skills that you learn because of your disability can be strengths, but also on the neuro side, again, there is, and I want to be very clear about this, there is definite disability on the neuro side, although a lot of it is social disability, which means that society is deciding that there's a disability. Not There's nothing actually wrong with the individual in that case. It's the that society is not designed for you. And that makes it difficult. But there is also medical, there is also legal disability with neuro, but there's also, and science has finally started catching up to this, PLOS Genetics, Johns Hopkins, and the National Institute of Health and the National Library all have great studies on that. So anybody who wants to look all of that up. So neurodiversity also comes with great benefits. It's it just it, the way that your mind has changed and altered just creates strength. So extreme innovation hyper analytics, the ability to process multiple projects at once highly effectively, um, hyper focus can be one. And these, and it varies from human to human. They're all different. But what they're finding is that it's consistent that people that have these neurodiversities have great strengths as well and great benefits. So it's a really interesting kind of dynamic because on the one hand, society is not built for you when you have autism, ADHD, you know, whatever, dyslexia, whatever it is. But on the other hand, you have these great gifts that everybody wants and everybody's always saying that they want to hire for. So it's this just completely bizarre dynamic that we've created. But just if anybody wants an example of some people who are highly successful, who have neurodiversity and are very public about it, you have Richard Branson, who runs the Virgin Mogul brand. You have, obviously, Elon Musk, no matter what you feel about him as a person, he is highly successful. Dan Aykroyd, the comedian. Uh, Daryl Hannah, the actress. Uh, Maya Angelou was neurodiverse and very public. And then Simone Biles, the Olympian. So there are many people. Mozart was wildly neurodiverse. Einstein was wildly neurodiverse. Alan Turing, uh, Hedy Lamarr, all these different people. Really fascinating group. Neurodiversity has driven the world forward, but yet somehow the world is still not designed for that group. And that's fascinating to me. We talked about the workplace and everything, and we talked about neurodiversity, but where does mental health fit into the workplace? Because with these new issues that you address in the workplace, mental health plays a part. Where do you see part that mental health plays? Number one, mental health does fall typically into the neurodiversity spectrum. 
because it does alter your neuropathways. So that is part of it. There's a lot of neuroinclusion, but also I think that we're starting to finally realize as a society, and thank God, that people are holistic and that you this leave it on the doorstep thing doesn't actually exist <laughs> because human beings can't do that. We are just the humans that we are and that's it. And so we have to take care of people at a very human-centric level. And that part of that is mental health. I just did a post today, and the point of it was we're talking about trauma and the importance of trauma-informed leadership and HR, because as people experience uh, traumas, you're going to have to help them and possibly temporarily accommodate things like that in the workplace. And so we need trauma-informed leadership and trauma-informed HR. And that's just it. So I think that, and it's important to have those benefits. It's important to create psychological safety so that people can feel comfortable. And by the way, psychological safety only means that people feel comfortable to speak up, dissent, ask questions and all this, and that they know that there will be no punishment and that there will be no issue from it. That's all that psychological safety means for anybody who doesn't know. But it's that's what it is. We have to create the psychological safety. We have to leave room for vulnerability. We have to embrace people as they are, as the whole human. And we need trauma-informed leadership and HR. That's the job of those people is to take care of the people. So they need to know how to do that. So Catherine, oh my gosh, you have given us a wealth of information. <laughs> if you had one piece of advice to give an entrepreneur on how to play big faster, what would it be? get bold with your brand, get whatever your weird thing is, just let it out. <laughs> just go with it. For instance, I really have a thing with octopuses and they're very tied into neurodiversity. They're one of the kind of the symbols for neurodiversity. I have a giant octopus that is in the background most of the time when I'm on screen. He, My business card is a bottle opener that's sparkly that has him on it and it's metal and it's super cool. And just let it go. Just whatever the thing is about you, just let it be out there and bring the human element. Because when your customers connect to you as a human, you've got them for life, just for life. So take care of your humans and just let you be you. Whatever that, whatever you're holding back and you're thinking, oh, this is too personal or this is too weird or this is too whatever. Heck no, let it go because you're going to get your people. Trust me. I love that. So how can people reach you if they have questions or if they'd like to work with you? Sure. And please do reach out even just with simple questions, personal things that you need. I'm always happy to help, always happy to point you in a direction. LinkedIn, I am always on LinkedIn and I'm pretty easy to find. Just search for me, connect to me, please. I'm always here. Also, my speaker site is kmccordspeaking.com. And that's a great way to get hold of me. And then if you're curious about neurodiversity, you can go to jointheneuroverse.org and learn more about that there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being with us. Absolutely. Thank you so very much for having me. And until next time, play big faster. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Play Big Faster podcast. Want more entrepreneurial content? I like this. Make sure to subscribe for future episodes. Already subscribed. I just clicked on it. Don't forget to like and leave a review. Share with a friend that needs this in their life. I think you need this more than I. Oh, and make sure to follow Cherie on IG at Cherie Speaks. And remember to play big faster.